Good morning. We are continuing our series, Origins. We've been looking at, and we will continue to look at the first 11 chapters in Genesis. What we know to be true about Genesis 1 through 11, this is where all of our uh, really faith, what we believe to be true, uh, comes from. The origins of our faith. Look, it all starts with the very first four words. It must start here. In the beginning, God. Do we believe that to be true? That our origins start with God and God alone. It does not start with us. It does not start with creation. It starts with Him and Him alone. I don't know about you, but I often get this question when I get home from vacation. You feel rested? Anyone ever get that question? I never feel rested when I come home from vacation because I have two little kids. Um, It's like I need a vacation from my vacation. This morning I want to look at rest. And I wonder for us in this society how often we really get rest. I want to look at where it comes from. Where does rest come from? Because we see in this text, in Genesis chapter 2, that rest comes from God. And yet if you're like me, and with deep conviction this week, I often don't find myself very rested. Anyone else in the room or I'm the only one? It's like if, if I could just have 26 hours, just two more hours, maybe I could find some rest. And yet as God is sovereign in control and convicting, uh, there's this pattern that we'll see in this text this morning. The seventh day is unique from all other days. As you look through the creation story, it says this about days one through six. It, it was said this, and God did this. It was said this, and God did this. It was said this, and God did this. But here in chapter two, at the very beginning, it's just the seventh day. God doesn't create anything. And if you look at the, the way that the structure of every day is, it says this at the end of each day. There was morning and evening, and that was the first day. There was morning and evening, and that was the second day. When we come to day seven, there's no end to day seven. Now that ought to perk our brains a little bit. So there's no end to day seven, which means we ought to still be in rest because God Himself is still in rest. But I think if I took a poll here this morning, and if we were truly honest, many of us, again, do not feel rested. Well, how come? Because I don't think we have taken into account what God says in this text and how God says it. One writer says this about day seven. He says, there is no creation formula. The God said part. He says this about day seven. It never ceases. He also says this. Day seven, catch this, is the only day that God blessed and made holy. The seventh day stood outside of paired days creation because there is no corresponding day to it in the preceding six. Remember we said God in the first three days forms and then in the last three days He fills. So there's a corresponding day. Verse Day one is corresponding with day four and so on. But the writer says there's, there's no corresponding day with day seven. Unlike the six creative days, the number of days seven is repeated three times. 
If you look at the formula, the structure in the Hebrew, how it was written, it says the seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day. If you know anything about Hebrews, when the writers say something three times, it's pretty important. And so we can see already that the seventh day in creation is the most important day of all seven. Well, how come that is so? How come the creation story ends with day seven? I'll read the text again, and then I want to look at three things. The three things I want to look at this morning are, is God's rest, the Sabbath's rest, and finally, what Christ tells us about His rest. Let's read the story, the narrative again. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the host of them. Many scholars believe that uh, when they broke down the passage, they broke it down the wrong way. They said that verse 1 ought to have stayed with chapter 1 rather than chapter 2. And then it says this, And on the seventh day God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all of His work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because of it God rested from all of His work that He had done. So I want to talk this morning about God's rest to begin with. You notice in the passage it says that several times, that God rested and God rested and God rested. Well, the question ought to perk in our brains, what did God rest for? Was God winded? Was God put out? Was God fatigued? Had God done too much work? You know, when you and I get winded and rested, I've been running, I can get about a half a mile in before I want to keel over. Like, we get winded, like we get fatigued, correct? When we come to this passage, we can read it through our lenses that God was fatigued from all of His work. But we know that's not true. We see that in Psalm chapter 121, verse 4. It says this, Behold, who keeps Israel, He, God, Will neither what? Slumber nor sleep. So what did God rest for? Again, we see in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, it says this. He does not faint or grow weary. So what was God resting for? The word rest in the Hebrew means this, to cease, to stop. So what it's saying in the text is God's rest is that He stopped creating. We could do a whole science class on that. This one word, God rested, says there's no such thing as evolution. That at the end of the six days when God rested, all of creation was complete. He'd completed His work. You see, the Big Bang Theory says this, that two things collide and it's still creating itself. But do we believe God's word to be true? And so what God is saying, God rested from his creation that it was all done. There's no such thing as evolution. We know that through two words. God rested. But what else does it mean that God would cease from doing his work? The word also means this. That God was completely satisfied. It's this idea, if you've ever, uh, anyone ever created anything? A painting, a sculpture, 
house, like in anyone, I guess I'm the only one. Right? So when you create something, when, the, when a painter would create something, at the very last stroke, what does a painter normally do? He takes a couple steps back to see what he has done. To marvel in what he has created. And so when it says that God rested, what it's saying is that God, the ultimate creator, steps back and looks what he has done. And what does it say about what he says about what he did? He doesn't step back and say, oh, I made a mistake there. Oh, if I only had to add a little bit more paint here, or put a tree here, or done this a little bit different there. No, it says he steps back when he stops creating, and he says this in chapter 1, verse 31. It is very good. So God, in stepping back from his creation, is saying to us, man, it is. look at all that I have done. It's complete and it is good. Nothing is lacking. Here's a, what else we know to be true about God. And thank God God does not rest the way we rest. Thank God that God does not grow weary and that God does not slumber and that God does not have to take a 15-minute power nap. Anyone else like those power naps? You know what would happen if God took a 15-minute power nap? Chaos would happen. If there's one moment in all of creation, in all of history, that God slumbered, we would implode and explode. So God is not slumbering. God is not sleeping. God is not taking off in this rest because He holds everything, the world, in His hand. And so what, God, what is God resting for? It's to look at His creation and be pleased in it. But not only that, two things. In God's resting, He also blesses. Do you see that in the text? That on the seventh day, God had finished His work and that He had done and He rested on the seventh day from all of His work that He had done. So God, in His resting, blessed the creation. So in His resting, not just His creation, but now He bestows blessing on what He created. It's only because of God's blessing creation that we have sustainability. Like the reason that the trees reproduce what they re reproduce is because of the blessing of God. That God, when He looked at creation, knew that He had the blessed creation so that creation would continue to reproduce for who? You and me. And so God blesses all of creation. God blesses us. It's reproduction. Thank God for reproduction. We would not be here today if Adam and Eve did not have the blessing from God to reproduce. Nor would we be here if Adam and Eve did not have the blessing of the reproductive of the trees. The nature. The sustainability. It's by God's blessing that we're here. So not only in God's resting does He bless it, but look what else He does. God in His resting calls the seventh day holy. He blessed it and called it holy. You know what the word holy means? To separate. To set aside. To show to us that the seventh day is super important. 
There's the holiness of the seventh day. And so let's talk just for a moment about the holy day. You know, this is the first time in all of the Bible it talks about something is holy. Like of all the things that God could have said were holy. He didn't call himself holy at the beginning. He doesn't call the trees holy. He doesn't call man and woman holy. He simply says the seventh day is holy. It ought to be set aside for that. And so let's talk about the seventh day, the Sabbath rest. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. I will not read this in the, its entirety, just a few verses. I want you to think for a moment, think for a moment, when we have the Declaration of Independence, correct, as a country. The Declaration of Independence says to us as a country, this is how this country is going to need to operate. For this country to operate well, we need to take this declaration and live by this declaration. And our forefathers came up with a brilliant list of things to do. Well, you know, there was the first declaration of independence before ours. It was found in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, God had given the declaration of independence to his people on Mount Sinai through Moses. And he says to Moses and to the people, hey, Moses, I want you to take these ten things and I want you to present them to my people and say, this is how you ought to live. Now, think about the top ten. Anyone ever watch uh, David Letterman? He always did the top ten at night. I think about that for a moment. So ten things that God says to his people, this is how you ought to live. You know one of the top ten? It's in number four, kind of at the top, is to keep the Sabbath holy. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm thinking about how to plan a country, a nation, a people, I'm not going to think of using the top four, one of them to be to keep the Sabbath day holy. But God did. Like, I get the murder part. Like, that, that sounds like a good way to, like, live. Not steal. That sounds like a good way to live. But all of a sudden, like, he goes to not to have any gods before him. But number four on the list is to keep the Sabbath day holy. So he says this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or your sojourners who is within their gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So God is saying to us, there's a holiness about the Sabbath rest. And so why would God set apart the seventh day and call it holy? helps us to be reminded that God has created us to live this way, to work and to rest, to work and to rest, to have a pattern in our lives, six days of working, one day of resting. But what for? Why would God 
not just tell us work every day and work hard every day? Why would God set aside one day for rest? I believe two things we see throughout, three things we see throughout the text of the Bible. The first one is this, that creation itself rested for this, to be reminded of where we came from. See, our resting isn't just for us to go and sleep a little longer or to take the Friday, uh, Sunday afternoon off and go watch football, though we will. What God set aside the Sabbath day for was to rest, but what are we resting from? Work. And so if God is giving us rest from work, then what is He trying to do in us to open our minds and our bodies to? It's to re be reminded of where we come from. It's the reason that we come and we celebrate the Sabbath day on Sunday. It's the day we have set aside for worship. Now, I'm old enough to remember when the mall wasn't open. I'm, I mean, thank God for Chick-fil-A, but sometimes I wish Chick-fil-A was open on Sunday. I'm not going to lie. But I can remember as a little boy wanting to go to eat, and I couldn't find anywhere to eat because every place was closed. How far we've come from that. And so God is saying to us, I want you to work hard and work hard for six days. But on that seventh day, I want you to set it aside for me so you can come and worship me. Because when we worship him, you know what it does? It replenishes our soul to go work another six days. But how far we've come from that church. Not only that, is it to come to worship God, to meditate on God, to free our minds and our hearts. From the things that so easily distract us. Anyone else like get to about Sunday evening? This is where football, like Sunday night football, changed the world, really. You know, they did it on purpose. There used to not be Sunday night football. But the people began to realize, like, hey, life is going good up until about the last game on that Sunday afternoon, so they decided, hey, let's put another distraction Sunday night to keep them distracted from having to think about going to work. Anyone else in the room, like, it gets to about a little bit after midday, and you're no longer thinking about what happened in this service, but you're thinking about what you got to go to on Monday morning? Because we don't have a rhythm to set aside to really think about the Lord. There's so many distractions that want to rob our intimacy and our worship of God. And when we worship and when we have a Sabbath and we set it aside and we focus on God, then that gives us the strength to go into Monday morning without being totally distracted. What I'm saying is Monday morning starts Sunday evening. And that's not how God ever created it to be. So are we resting? The second thing is this. God gave us the Sabbath to be reminded and to celebrate our salvation. Turn with me to a, for a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. God had given the Sabbath day and reminded the people of God about the Sabbath day to celebrate their salvation and their redemption from their slavery, from bondage, from Egypt. He says this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. And I wonder for us how many of us have been reminded of our slavery 
on Sunday. But that's what God says, that Sunday is a reminder of our slavery and where he delivered us from. It says this in verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that your God brought you out from there with his mighty hand and outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see, Sunday is to remind us of where he brought us. How often do we miss out on Sunday when he brought us because of all the distractions? You see, Sunday ought to be a day of celebration. We come to church to celebrate all that God has done and all that God is going to do, but we must celebrate that he has delivered us from the bondage of hell and sin. Do we celebrate the Sabbath from our bondage of sin? The next thing is this. Not only are we to celebrate where God delivered us, not only are we to rest and meditate on Him, but last, it's a reminder. It's a covenantal sign. A covenant is this, a promise that God made with His people. So the Sabbath is a covenant that God made to us, not us to Him. So it's a promise that God made. So what is the promise that God made on the Sabbath day? It's found in Exodus chapter 31. You do not need to turn there this morning, but this is the promise of what the Sabbath day is for us. It says this, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you throughout all generations that you may know that I am the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. It says, I am the Lord that what? Sanctifies. Sundays, the Sabbath, is a sign from God that God is still at, the, at work in us to sanctify us, to set us apart, to separate us, to make us more holy. It's a promise that God has made. And so as we come on these days, the Sabbath day, are we reminded of the promise God had made to us to keep us holy and to make us holy? Do we celebrate that God has delivered us from all sin and the bondage of sin? And do we rest and meditate and worship the God that's done this for us? And lastly, I want to look at this morning what Christ says about the Sabbath. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, he says this. The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Christ himself comes on this planet and now he says, this, I'm the ruler of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about me. It's for me. I rule over the Sabbath. Do we believe that to be true? And so we ask, must ask the question, what is Christ ruling over? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Remember, he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of rest, is what he's saying. Start at verse 28. Page 816 in your pew Bible. 
Jesus Himself saying He's the Lord of the Sabbath says this, Come to Me all who labor and are heavy laden. Come to Me. Everyone that's not restful. Everyone that is not receiving rest. Everyone that's tired. Everyone that's put out. Everyone that's exhausted. Am I the only one? So Christ is saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of rest. So the only way for you to get rest is to come to the one that has dominion over the rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will what? Give you rest. Circle the word give. It doesn't say you'll find it. It doesn't say you have to go digging for it. It simply says, you come to me, and I give it to you. Like he says, I'm not going to withhold rest, but you simply have to come to me. I'm the Lord of the rest, and because I'm the Lord of rest, I will offer it to you. I will give you rest. But how do we get rest? Who in the room wants rest? How many of us in this room have sought a lot of things for rest? More vacation, sleep in more, drugs, alcohol, sex. Like all those, we want relief, not rest. Like those things I just mentioned are relief seeking behavior. But Christ says, I'm the Lord of rest and I want to give you rest. But yet, how often do we go to so many other things to find rest? If I could just make enough money, then I'll get rest. If I could just retire, then I'll get rest. If, if I, if I, if I. You hear the key word, I. And Christ is saying, no, 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 come to me because I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the rest and I'll give it to you. And yet we hear that. But I don't know if we really believe that because we go to everything else still looking for rest. But now he gives us how do we get the rest that he so freely offers to us? He says this. If you want rest this morning. Here's your test to know if you're resting and resting well. He says in verse 29. Take what my yoke upon you. Take my yoke. You know what yoke meant in that day and age? Teaching. The word yoke had two meanings. The word, it meant to, uh, to put an older ox in with a younger ox, and so the older ox would train the younger ox. But it also meant this, that when a rabbi would teach, they would call that his yoke. And so he's saying, take my teaching upon you. So the first thing we have to do to find rest is to know God's word. And yet, how often is this the last thing we go to when we want rest? But God is saying through Christ Jesus, if you want rest, you must know my teaching. You must take my yoke and put it on your shoulders. Nothing else. And learn from me. So take my teaching and learn from me. And then God promises this in Christ Jesus. For I am gentle 
and lowly in heart. He's not saying I'm a slave master. I'm gentle. I'll walk with you. I'll be with you in your exhaustion. I'm lowly in heart. He says this, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so this morning, I'd ask this question. Are you finding rest for your souls? See, that's what God created the Sabbath for. No, He did not rest. He stepped back, looked at His creation, and said it was wonderful. And then He made it holy, and He blessed it for us, not for Himself. And then Christ came and fulfilled the blessing and the holiness in Himself and said, I am the ultimate rest. I am the ultimate Sabbath, is what He's saying in that text. And yet, how come so many believers, myself included, don't live restfully? One writer says it this way. The more we trust, the more we rest. So my lack of resting this week has revealed to me my lack of trusting. See, the more I trust God and that God has it all under control, then I don't have to freak out when things don't seem to be going the way I think they need to be going. Is that not what really gives me angst? Is I think I have to be in control? If I could just do this, I could just do that. Now, my level of resting will reveal to me my level of trusting in a sovereign God who's in control of all things. So if we're not resting church. We're not trusting. That he is the Lord. Of the Sabbath. Let us find our rest. In Christ. In Christ. Alone let us pray this morning.